0: a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky's set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. I am joined as I am on many a day by the irrepressible, the laughable Chris Ryan, who is in hysterics over there, sitting there with his cap on backwards, celebrating the Red Sox win. He's got his puffy jacket on, Puffy even jacket we're indoors. It's on the way to winter, we're a couple of days away from a big election, but the real news is that there is a crisis on the border. There is a crisis being manufactured by Donald Trump in the White House because there is a shrinking caravan of sorry people trying to escape persecution, murder, and death in Central and South America who are slowly torturously, making their way through Mexico towards the United States, where they will be met by 5,000 troops, none of them armed, who Donald Trump today said ought to shoot back if anybody throws a rock. I want you to understand what the President of the United States has now said. He has endorsed our military committing a clear war crime. I mean, there is nothing more clear about the rules of engagement, according to all the military experts, that you don't meet a rock by shooting the person who threw it.
1: And according to Chuck Hagel, uh, former defense secretary, and many other experts, this, and you mentioned the reason that they're not armed, the reason that they're not armed is because they cannot be. Uh, there,
0: there, there's a law that prevents them. It the, prevents them from The being National armed.
1: Guard uh, can be engaged in these circumstances. Now, you could... If the president were clever, nuance things in order to say that you know this is a threat or that there is a, a, a terrorist organization such where you can use the military in or, in those circumstances, but you cannot use the United States military uh, and the branch of the military in order to stop uh, migrants who are. Um, Fleeing prosecution. So, so what, it's just a show of force as opposed to anything else. It's it, a, it's a waste of time and resources.
0: It's we've raised, wasted millions of dollars because the five thousand troops he sent are people from the engineer corps, their backup, their support, they're not allowed to engage. It's not a military operation. The military is being used in a support in a support role. So so that's number one. It, Trump knows that. He's got to know that. I mean, we know that. He's got to know that. So for him to start talking about horrific scenarios, I want you to imagine this seething crowd of Central American children coming to the border face to face with, with a a squadron of armed border guards backed up by 5,000 military people, these people whose caravan has been shrinking, who, fearing for their lives, are coming to the United States to try to gain asylum uh, in a publicized way. I mean, this isn't like a secret caravan of people. And by the way, they're hundreds of miles away. They're not going to be here by, in time for the midterm elections, which is what Trump really wants. He would like nothing better. Than the night before the election on Tuesday.
1: They gotta hurry up.
0: To have a confrontation <laughs> with seething children. Oh, we are here to, to enter your country for asylum, but I'm throwing a rock by the way. Oh, don't shoot me. I mean what Trump wants Vladimir is, Putin's he, coming to the country. He wants Vladimir <laughs> Latter- Putin's. He wants, <laughs> Latter- death, Putin's with he wants death and destruction uh, okay. on the border yep. on Monday night. So this is go here's here it is. My plea for the president. I want to support our president, of course. I want to support his agenda. So if we are going to do that, we need to have a bloody confrontation on the southern border on Monday night before the election so that that's all that people are thinking about when they go to vote this Tuesday in the midterms to finally try to hold Donald Trump accountable. Now, there are lots of other things the president could be talking about, There are lots of things he could be talking about. He could be talking about the fact that white terrorists, domestic white terrorists, terrorists are murdering our citizens here in the United States. He could be talking about the horrific shooting in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. He could be talking about the white terrorist who gunned down two African Americans in a Kroger store. He could be talking about the white nationalists who attacked people in a black church. He could be expressing real remorse. He could be showing real empathy. He could be doing something about white terrorism in the United States, except he's actually loosened all the, all the programs. He's, he's diminished the programs that Obama had put in place to deal with white nationalists who are committing acts of violence. But his mind is on other things. His mind is on the migrant children who are trying to gain asylum. He could be talking about the good news in the economy because let's 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 hand it to him no matter what he's done right or wrong, the economy seems to be doing okay at the moment. The stock market is volatile because nobody can figure out what he's doing. But we've added more jobs in this quarter. We've continued uh, what Obama started, which was uh, a record-setting pace of job growth. And job growth in the last quarter was pretty good. He could be talking about that. Republicans would like Donald Trump to be talking about that. But instead, he's trying to use the fear of immigration, which you'll remember is where he started his campaign in 2015, coming down the stairs at the Trump Tower talking about Mexican rapists. And so this is just more of the same from the guy who's famous for more of the same. He figures, why not double down? I got nothing else on my mind. I'll just double down on bad immigrants.
1: No, I think, um, you know, if you look at what the president has uh, has done, um, he... The real basis of his campaign was uh, to you know stoke the fears of individuals and to claim that he was going to fix the problems in regards to immigration. And the fact of the matter is that he has done nothing in regards to um, uh, to actually fulfilling his promises to his base, and this is a very clever way of of, show, of of actually diverting from that fact. You know he's continuing to to show and to create a imagery and um, able to put in the individual's minds that he is in fact addressing the issue of illegal immigration when, in fact, a shovel has not even gone into the ground for his great grand wall. And um, what he is doing is diverting attention from that and focusing on other issues to show his base that he is tough on illegal immigration, when, in fact, um, he has been impotent in terms of actually being able to do anything about uh, the issue, whether it's individuals who are in this country or uh, and creating a, a process of some sort. Uh, obviously, We've seen what's uh, happened in regards to DACA and a lack of action on that particular issue and and on the border itself.
0: It's going to be really interesting to see and hear the president of the United States, Donald Trump. On Wednesday morning. Now, nobody knows what exactly is going to happen in the midterms, but uh, it looks like it l- appears from polling and early voting that Democrats have a fair chance of regaining control of the House of Representatives. When you look at all the races in play uh, and the trends of voters and polling, uh, especially uh, college-educated women, suburban voters, and many people who are expressing buyer's remorse about. Voting Voting for Trump and the Republicans, it looks like um, people are going to send a message on Tuesday. I hope people are going to send a message on Tuesday that uh, Trump's uh, program and the Republicans' complicity in hate, fear, and division uh, will not work in America. But what is he going to say? Who is he going to blame it on Wednesday? Because he's not going to take any. He's not going to take any of the blame on himself he can't he's congenitally unable to do that he's terminally he's in terminal denial um, he's not going to do that I, who's he going to blame is he going to blame paul ryan is he going to blame yeah. mitch mcconnell what and and what's he going to blame. He'll blame on?
1: i mean the easiest thing in the world to do is to blame congress and because congress, congress is even less popular than he is so you blame paul ryan you blame congress you blame the individuals who lost for not being supportive enough of him and you claim credit for what'll likely be an increase in a Republican majority in the Senate. And that is what's that's what's that's what, he's, that's what he's gonna do.
0: So what about New Hampshire? Has the taint of Donald Trump touched anyone here in New Hampshire? Is it gonna touch anyone? Molly Kelly has been trying from time to time to tie Governor Sununu to Trump. She has tried, it seems to me, uh, without great success, to tie Sununu to Trump on energy policy, uh, claiming that he's wishy-washy, which he is on a real um a sustainable energy policy um she's cl- trying to tie him to trump in other ways um she you know she goes after him on education and the choice of edel blut as education commissioner um has she been able to put a glove on him in any of the debates what is it looking like
1: no she's she's struggled a lot in the in the debates and that's not surprising but the the the, th- the key thing here is that um, I don't think anyone is—not re- I should say anyone, but I would say the vast majority of, of voters are not paying any attention to the governor's race at all. This is a, a, a race that's going to be defined by what's going on at a national level and whether or not Governor Sununu has built up enough goodwill amongst independents to allow for him to survive. And what would be remarkable is if a the Democratic blue wave is big enough to take out a— governor who has a 57% approval rating and you know, really has no quote-unquote fireable offense and is, for the most part, in my view, removed from what's going on at a, at a national level. It's obvious, you know, if, if you're going to take out the, uh, what's going on at a national level on, on members of Congress or senators, that makes some sense. But um, if, if folks are angry enough with the Republican brand to, uh, to take out Chris Sununu, uh, that'll be pretty remarkable.
0: That we'll have to see. Over in the first CD, a recent poll uh, from Emerson University uh, has the race between um, uh, Chris Pappas and Eddie Edwards pretty darn close. They have a two-point race with Pappas ahead by two points, well within uh, the margin of error. Uh, Are you surprised at all that Edwards has been able to keep it so close with Pappas, given uh, that, you know, Carol Shea Porter, a Democrat, has represented the district uh, pretty well and, um, uh, and is in a way far more liberal or left than Pappas is perceived to be.
1: I think, again, um, we get caught in the vacuum of politics. And in the vacuum of politics, Chris Pappas is known and Eddie Edwards is known to some degree. For most folks, I mean, they're just kind of getting to know the two individuals, and that is the swingiest of swing districts in our country. So um, I am not surprised that it's close. I think that when folks start to look closer at the two candidates, um, they will see that Eddie uh, Edwards is less of a kind of problem solver, bipartisan individual. Um, than uh, Chris Pappas and the Pappas is more you know in the mold of Gene Jaheen and Maggie Hassan and Democrats that have been elected in New Hampshire in the past. So Pappas, I, I think I don't think it's as close as the Emerson poll indicates. I think it's Pappas is more you know three to five percent up, which is probably what'll end up um, winning by. And, and Custer's just going to cruise here in the second seat. Custer
0: has no problems. She's going to win a record. Uh, fourth term, I think it is, um, which is, uh, you know, I held it for two. Dick Sweat held the seat for two that we were the last two Democrats. Uh, Custer's held that district. And I think that she has no problem holding uh, holding on to the second. It also CD. proves the
1: power of um, you know, positive politics as well. Where in the past, um, you know, Custer has used her uh, significant campaign funds to go after and define an opponent who is not well known. Marilyn Garcia is a, cra- a, a classic example of that. In this particular cycle, whether it's her trying to introduce herself to the state to run for Senate moving forward, or if it was more just of a strategic uh, look at where the uh, independent voters are and wanting positivity and problem solvers. Um, but she decided to really, you know, go about introducing her, herself to voters. Bio ads again, even though she's been in Congress for a long time. Nobody knows um, who and, their member of Congress is. Right.
0: They, nobody Nobody and, pays right. any attention.
1: And, uh, and also, you know, focusing on prescription drugs and issues as opposed to going after Steve Negron.
0: There you go. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes talking with Chris Ryan about national and state politics on Off the Record, on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. We'll be back after this to talk with Katrina Lantos Sweat about the Lantos Human Rights Foundation and recent events in the United States. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can binge listen to your heart's content. Join our dozens of listeners as they binge listen to past shows. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224 9111. I am delighted to be joined by my dear friend Katrina Lantos Sweat of the Lantos Human Rights Foundation. Uh, Katrina and I and her husband Dick have been friends for more years than I care to remember, so it's really delightful to have you on the show.
2: Well, it's such a pleasure to be here, and I don't mind remembering all those years. You know, we've sort of earned our stripes as uh, people who love New Hampshire, who have sort of raised our children together through the decades, and um, and we also have the shared wonderful experience of, of both you and my husband Dick having had the privilege of serving um, the second district of New Hampshire in Congress. So, yeah. lots of wonderful ties that bind.
0: It's true. I mean, I remember. I have a very clear memory of Dick coming to visit me for some reason, to talk about his planned run for (laughs) Congress way, way back when, when, and and then he literally ran, uh, ran the whole district, Mm -hmm. won won his seat. And I will never forget um, you and Dick with Pego and me the night uh, that I won the seat uh, and uh, the joy that you expressed <laughs> at 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 yes. at that was just uh, was something I will carry with me forever and really appreciate.
2: Well, it was a, a wonderful sense of joy, and um, you know I think that's because we just both felt so strongly that you could bring the sort of. Uh, idealistic, inspired, but also pragmatic leadership that uh, that we want to see in Congress. And,
0: you know, of course, when I got there, I had the honor, and it really was an honor, of Serving in the United States Congress with your father mm-hmm. um he was uh, magnanimous he was generous he was kind he was sweet uh he was um he he mentored me he gave me tips he gave me pointers <laughs> he uh he, i got a lot of those too he, sometimes he, right. i didn't
2: always appreciate it through the years yes. but he was uh he was wonderful in that way and
0: and and when when he died you Began uh, a foundation to continue his work. Talk to us about the the beginnings and the the idea. What propelled you, and what what the work of the Lantos Human Rights Foundation um, has been and is.
2: Well, I I'm really glad for the opportunity to talk about it and. Understanding what propelled me to establish the foundation does require a little bit of biography. We
0: have the time.
2: (laughs) So my father was the only Holocaust survivor ever elected to serve in the United States Congress. He was a young Hungarian Jewish boy during the Second World War. And um, like all of the other Jews of Hungary, they hoped and believed um, and it was proved to be a, a, an unrealized hope that somehow the horrors swirling around them might pass them by. Hungary was actually an ally of Germany for much of the war, but towards the very end in 1944, as things were clearly um, going in a in a very um, terminal direction for, for Hitler and for his Nazi regime, Hungary was occupied by the Germans. And, um, as a sort of inside a window into the evil mindset of, of that regime, that Nazi regime, at a time when you know they were desperately fighting in a way just to survive, they still could not set aside their profound hatred for the Jewish people. And so the deportation and the extermination of the Hungarian Jews became sort of one of the highest priorities at that point. Uh, my father, who had been taken to slave labor camps and had um, eventually succeeded in escaping from them, was uh, part of the Hungarian underground. He was blonde, he was blue eyed in a stolen Hungarian Arrow Cross uniform. He could sort of Uh, try to traverse the city delivering messages, uh, medicine, information between the different groups that were trying to to hide Jews. He ultimately survived because he was able to find a place in one of the quote-unquote safe houses established by the remarkable Swedish humanitarian Raoul Wallenberg, who had gone to Hungary at the height of this horror um, with the sole goal of trying to save as many Jews as he could. So my dad came to America out of that nightmare and horror and found what so many immigrants before him had found, a country that gave him a second chance at life, Um, a country that welcomed him with open doors of opportunity, and he was able to walk through those doors. And he and my mother, also a Hungarian Jewish Holocaust survivor, built a life (laughs)
0: like
2: so many millions before them and millions since them. And
0: I I will just say, my grandmother was a Hungarian Jew ah. who came to this country in the 19-teens. Mm-hmm. She grew up riding pigs on a farm in Hungary huh. and came here. So when I met your father and met your mother and met you um, in that whole context of politics and opportunity and a new life that immigrants made, it really had special and still does uh, very emotional resonance mm-hmm. for me
2: yeah well and how wonderful that your mother was able grandmother was able to come when she did because it was all the Jews of the countryside that were successfully deported only the Jewish community of Budapest was able to you know in in some measure to survive those dark days. So fast forward in 1980, my dad is elected to Congress. And for anybody who undertakes that impossible dream, when it happens, it always feels like a a bit of a miracle, I think, but perhaps especially so for this boy who came here as a penniless immigrant out of those experiences. But because of what he had experienced... My father naturally gravitated towards becoming a leader on human rights. He founded the Congressional Human Rights Caucus. He eventually rose to become chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. But this passion for defending the rights of people globally and defending, if you will, America's highest values, because we have historically been the country that led with its values and that, you know, sought to advance the scope of of rights and rule of law internationally. Um, And he really became Congress's probably most eloquent and and most credible voice, um, both as, you know, co-chair of the Human Rights Caucus and, and in his role on the Foreign Affairs Committee. So when he passed away in 2008, um, he had asked me and and my mother and sister, and we felt it to be kind of a sacred obligation to try and continue his legacy. So that was the origin of establishing the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice. And we are now celebrating our first decade, Wow! which kind of, yeah, that, that's, that's my reaction to it. <laughs> that's, that's
0: extraordinary and wonderful.
2: Well, it is wonderful. And we feel very proud of the work we've been able to do. I often you know, when I think, okay, are we on track? I think, yep, dad would be proud. He would approve of what we have done in his name. Um, And we have a range of initiatives. So obviously, a primary focus for us from the very beginning has been fighting anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial, which is a pretty natural outgrowth of sort of our history, if you will. And, you know, one initiative is the annual Lantos Archives on anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial, where we partner with a remarkable organization called Memory spelled M E M R I, which stands for the Middle East Media Research Institute, and what we try to do is bridge what is sometimes called the language gap. Um, so you have had for many, many years, really decades, um, a kind of schizophrenic world in which, um, in large parts of the um, of the Arabic speaking world one face is presented to the Western media, you know, that can be quite reasonable and avoids, you know, some of the most incendiary and vicious language. But in media, to their own people, it's a very different story. But because of that language gap, people don't know. And so, you know, the Lantos Archives brings together on an annual basis, the most troubling examples of just almost unbelievable anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial in Newspapers, in sermons, in uh, television programming, in articles, in uh, magazines. and Is you this know, both
0: domestic as well as around the globe?
2: Well, it's domestic in the countries where we do the research, uh-huh. and then we provide the, the translation. So that's sort of one, one example of an initiative. Um, some years ago, we launched something... Uh, it was focused on protecting and defending the international right of freedom of religion, conscience, and belief. Basically, the right of people to live their lives according to the dictates of their own conscience. Um, And I had the privilege for four years of serving on USERF, which is the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. I served a couple of years as chair and, and then as vice chair of the commission. And It's the U.S. government body charged with um, monitoring the state of of freedom of religion and conscience globally and making recommendations to our our government. And sort of growing out of that, we established an initiative at the Lantos Foundation called the Solidarity Sabbath. The first Solidarity Sabbath um, was focused on rising anti-Semitism in Europe in particular, um, and we, we sort of focused on Europe and North America. And it was very exciting because President Obama participated in it for the first time ever. An American president attended Sabbath services in Washington, D.C., you may Ooh, remember. I do. Was part of our initiative. And we got 24 um, governments in Europe to participate in the Solidarity Sabbath Um, engaging in some activity that showed solidarity with their Jewish community. But our vision is broader than that. We want um, to sort of defend those conscience rights of people globally. And so in subsequent years, we have focused on uh, minority faith communities in China, where they are under tremendous pressure. Um, This year, for example, we were focused on the persecution of the Uyghur Muslims in China. And there are reports that... Upwards of a million Uyghurs have been detained, disappeared really into so-called re-education camps, targeted specifically and exclusively because of their Muslim faith um, in the Xinjiang province of China. Um, Can I just for course, a moment— Of course, stop me at any no, moment. No, no, no. I just I
0: just want to <laughs> highlight and remark that, the, uh, uh, that your work, which grew out of um, your father's experiences— uh, grew out of this impulse to um, uh, do do work around anti-Semitism. And what you're now talking about is the cross-current of working to in China to protect a, a Uyghur Muslim population. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sorry fact is that um, the degradation of human rights, the persecution of minorities because of their religious belief, um, is not limited to anti-Semitism. It goes on all around the world Absolutely. with minority religious practitioners right. all the time. But I want to highlight and and thank you for that that extraordinary work that uh, crosses, crosses boundaries, crosses cultures, and crosses religions.
2: Well, thank you. And, you know, I don't think one can talk about this issue right now without referencing, of course, the tragedy that happened just a week ago in Pittsburgh.
0: Um, I'll tell you what, let's just, pause for a moment because we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, domestic events and uh, Mm -hmm. the response and the lack of response and how to respond and and your thoughts about that this is off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. We're talking with Katrina Lantos-Sweat of the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We'll take a short break We're back. It's off the record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224 9111. And I'm delighted to be back with my very special guest and dear friend, Katrina Lantos-Sweat, talking about religious persecution, the work of the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice, and now turning towards a very, very difficult week uh, in the United States of America with the massacre of congregants at uh, the temple outside uh, Pittsburgh by a white nationalist uh it's it's uh it it It's been a shocking and difficult week i mean here in new england we we had the the joy of the Red sox and the tragedy in pittsburgh kind of highlighting two extremes in this country, which is being led by an administration which has sowed feared division and chaos, which is implicitly if not expressly given permission to uh, white nationalist terrorists to commit acts of violence, which has incited um, a divisive politics, which in both words and deeds um, has facilitated um, uh, white nationalist terrorism. And we've seen uh, the result. I lay it uh, pretty squarely at the feet of a White House and a president Uh, Whose words have divided us and inspired violence, whether it is uh, the white nationalists who marched in the South uh, chanting, Jews will not replace us, Um, whether it is uh, the white nationalists who've committed acts of terror um, in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. I lay it pretty squarely at the feet of an immoral, ignorant uh, president who uh, knows exactly, I think, what he's doing when it comes to hate speech. And he has uh, um, he has engaged in hate speech, and he above all should be held accountable with that. I'm happy to hear your thoughts about what's happened in the country uh, and what what we can do about it um, you know, certainly in twenty twenty if not before, replacing the president is one thing, but beyond that, as citizens as people how do we how do we respond how do we and deal with what is a mind numbing uh experience the shock of both the tragedy in Pittsburgh and the 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 counter to this administration which really doesn't seem to care well
2: you've brought up so many things. And the first thought that comes to my mind, um, we talked earlier about how, you know, (laughs) both of our families have a, a long and, you know, proud background and history of being engaged politically and part of the process. And for me, I was always one of those people who, while there are ups and downs and wins and losses, had a certain sense of optimism and even joy in being part of sort of the politics of our country and like many others there is a an anger and an ugliness that has come into this arena that I used to think of as a very noble arena you know I used to say to people don't let the downsides don't let the you know inevitable yuckiness of politics keep you out because this is you know this is where things happen that can make our society better. And, uh, and I just sense in myself almost a pulling back from that world because of some of the ugliness that you have addressed and, done, and you've done so eloquently. I think, you know, and I, I try to be um, fair and in some senses restrained as I evaluate how we process a tragedy and a despicable outrage outrage and crime such as happened a week ago in Pittsburgh. And I perhaps would not go as far as you do in terms of laying responsibility directly at at the doorstep of the current White House, because, of course, the responsible person is this evil Nazi who wanted to kill Jews. and. You know, President Trump, whatever else one may think about him, i I don't think he um personally is an anti-Semite. His daughter is a convert to Judaism. He has three Jewish grandchildren in his family whom I'm sure he loves. But what I think, whether intentionally or ignorantly, he does not grasp, is that the language that he has legitimized and the otherization that he has engaged in towards all sorts of groups um, has has opened up space that previously was so on the margins and so um, utterly discredited that that there wasn't a lot of oxygen there. And I do think that um, so much of his rhetoric has given oxygen in which um, the angriest and, as we have now seen, some of the most dangerous um, viruses have grown and proliferated. And I do hold him accountable for that. And I, it is very hard to respect his unwillingness to face his own accountability, to recognize his role and to adjust. You know, I mean, if one wants to give... The benefit of the doubt, if one wants to say, well, no, you know, he condemns this, of course he thinks this is horrible, then I would think any one of us, if we had inadvertently somehow sowed those kinds of seeds, we would want to have a mea culpa moment. We would want to come out and say, this is a nightmare, this is a horror, we all condemn it. And if my words have contributed, if things that I have said and done have in any way given encouragement or comfort to those who would engage in this kind of evil and despicable action. I um, retract those words. I regret it. You know, I ask forgiveness for that. That's how one should respond. Uh, As I say, giving him sort of the benefit of the doubt. So, you know, it is incredibly um, upsetting and disturbing The irony that this happened literally in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood is um, so poignant. I don't know if you or your listeners had the opportunity to see the beautiful documentary about Mr. Rogers that was playing right here in Concord um, not that many months ago. I went actually twice because I said it's a bomb for my soul in these troubled times. It's just was so... Nourishing to see how this uh, wonderful person, kind and good, frankly almost to the point of naivete. You know, as you watched that, you said, "Oh my gosh, how did this? How did this guy ever get a TV show, and how did he succeed?" Because for just, it,
0: for decades,
2: for decades. And how, in a world that got more and more jazzy and snazzy and hyped up and cool and special effects, how did this quiet? gentle sincere decency ever get a toehold you know keep that toehold and grow so beloved and and so at so many levels I just really felt like this is a bomb for my troubled soul this is a bomb for the troubled soul of our nation and so the sad irony that in Mr. Rogers neighborhood this evil should have happened um it's it's awful um I will say that um you know, through the Lantos Foundation, we put out a statement a couple of days ago, and I'm sure it's on our website if anybody wants to read it. But I said, and this was absolutely true, Paul, that, of course, I immediately thought of my father. And my first thought was, oh, my gosh, I wish he were still here, because he had such authority to speak about such things. And he was so strong. And, you know, and then I thought, well, I kind of know, in a way, what he would say. And, um he His most famous quote, which is kind of our motto at the Lantos Foundation, he said, and this is a direct quote from him, that the veneer of civilization is paper thin. We are its guardians, and we can never rest. And um, that seems to me very, very relevant. It's pretty clear-eyed. It's, it's not naive at all. It's the voice of somebody saying, you know, that civilization that we love and that we all feel so secure in, its veneer is pretty thin. And we are definitely seeing that in the age of Trump, how thin that veneer is.
0: Well, we've seen it before. Uh, We saw it during the Holocaust. We've seen it in other genocides. Mm -hmm. We know that as humans, our animal instincts lurk. Below, as you said, and your father so eloquently said, a paper-thin veneer. I'm struck by your kindness, compassion, uh, patience, um, <laughs> and, and, and... Well, don't rest- go overboard here now. <laughs> and, re- and, and restraint. Um, you know, I, I've had the privilege of both serving in Congress and now being given a microphone. Um, uh-huh. This is... Um, while the president may call call this part of the fake media, it's, it's actually not. I've been given a microphone where I have been privileged to express opinions in sometimes comedic and humorous <laughs> ways, um, but uh, pretty unvarnished mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what I determined uh, I would say to people. And in this instance, since the rise of Trump and what I see as a narcissistic uh, authoritarian, um, my restraint uh, has pretty much vanished yeah. uh, because um, it's very difficult for me to be restrained in the face of what I see as a true danger to our democracy, to the institutions we love and have cherished and have nurtured, uh, to find a to, to see this huckster who has taken over our White House, which, in addition to all the policy initiatives that the White House is responsible for, setting a moral tone, speaking and setting an example um, of the way we want our kids to behave, the way we want our citizens to engage, the way we want to respond to crises, the way we want to respond to the diversity that has made America great, the way we want to ennoble tolerance and not encourage intolerance, the way we want to encourage positive responses to uh, challenges such as the ones we face when despicable acts are faced. I have no and will give no quarter Mm -hmm. to Donald Trump. I cannot and I will not and I will never. And I would like to be able to forgive him, uh, and I've I've tried, Mm -hmm. and and I constantly try, and it is a failure that I admit that I see his actions as more than merely negligent. Um, And the irony in this situation of a guy whose son-in-law is Jewish, whose daughter is converted, who has three Jewish grandchildren, who... right after the events in Pittsburgh went out uh, with his rallies, speaking hate again about fake media and demonizing uh, opponents in the most despicable ways, Um, I'm sorry to say proved the point to me. Well, look, I
2: think you speak for a lot of people. And, you know, so, so, so many feel that way. Um, And with plenty of evidence and justification Uh, so I you know I mean I can't critique anything you say I do think that we need to find a way forward though and we do need to build bridges and we are roughly a 50-50 country now and you know although many of the president's supporters also can't stand his rhetoric Somehow we have to find language that enables us to move forward. And um, I will say I will say (laughs) this.
0: We are a few days away from midterm elections. So all I will say to my listeners is please go and vote. And if you care about the country, vote for Democrats. That is the only thing we can do at this point. That is the most important thing. Vote for Democrats on Tuesday, even if. You have to hold your noses, vote for Democrats, because we must. Katrina, thank you for being here.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: This is Paul Hodes on Off the Record on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet. Our terrific guest has been Katrina Lantos, Sweat of the Lantos Human Foundation for Human Rights and Justice. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord. We'll be back after this. Don't go away.